All right. Good morning. Good morning. How are we? How are we doing? We are good, says Keith. He's your spokesperson. If you're not doing well, you're in the house of the Lord, so we're all together as one. I'm going to walk over here for a minute. Excuse me, Nate. Oh, baby. Had a wild several weeks. Uh, Tisha kind of alluded to, but you know, we've had a lot of things going on in our church that have been kind of a roller coaster. Uh, we had a, a children's camp, and then I think the week after that we had our VBS, and then I was, my family was in Michigan with um, just a million adults and children for five days, and then we uh, had youth camp last week, and so there's a lot going on, and a lot of that, you know, some of you who know better are like, man, that sounds really exhausting. Uh, it's a young man's game, but also it's, it's really life-giving. You see the Lord move, and you see that it turns out there really is a God who's calling us to repentance, who loves us enough to set up these situations in which people can hear the gospel. And whether it's children, youth, um, on vacation with close friends who are going through a lot of hard stuff, uh, we see God move. And so I'm excited about that. We're closing up uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is kind of a light close because we can't really put too much end cap on it today because the three things Jesus says, the, the stories, the parables he has here are too heavy, they're too hard, and so we're going to just take Jesus at his word. We're going to read it, we're going to wrestle through it, and I hope that it bears the conviction and the weight on you that it has in my life this week. Um, but before we do that, uh, a couple things, grab a Bible. Uh, again, I don't need to give you my spiel. You hear it every week. If you're new here, uh, we care about getting in the Word of God. You see uh, the poster we hung on the wall. We've got one over here that's, uh, uh, what do we call that? There's a word for it. Mission statement, right? But this is what matters, right? This is, it all comes from this, the words of Jesus. All authority has been given to Jesus, and he's with us always, so we make disciples. And we're wrestling through what that means. If he really is king, if this really is his kingdom, what, is, what does that mean for us? Uh, we get there through saying worship, connect, grow, and go. More on that later on, but we want to be about the Word of God today. So open up to Matthew 6. Uh, if you need to use your phone, that's great. If you can avoid the temptation or iPad or uh, Blackberry, whatever you have in your pocket from the 90s that has a Bible on it, let's go for it. And we're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 7. We're doing verses 13 through 27. So we're, it's a larger chunk than we've ate the entire time we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. So get ready for that. In general, we've said this whole time, when you think of Jesus, you think of kingdom. Man, I want to drill that in your mind so hard that it's just the case that if anyone ever says Jesus, it's so important because when you see the news and someone alludes to Jesus, when you see uh, you're at another church, when your grandpappy, when your uncle, when your uh, cousin says Jesus, your mind goes to kingdom because otherwise we fabricate who we think Jesus is and what we want to build him to be. But Jesus said that he's come to teach the gospel of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is all about. And so if you've grown up in church that says first, Jesus is your personal Savior, Jesus is all, that's fine. We can get there. But Jesus didn't first come teaching the gospel of your personal salvation. <gasps> Sorry, don't be upset about that. That doesn't mean you're not saved by Jesus. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying Jesus cared the most about his kingdom. He taught us to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Then what? Thy kingdom 
kingdom come, thy will be done. Not, save me Jesus as my personal Savior so I can be personally secure and not be all ablazed in eternity. That's not, that, that wasn't the focus. The focus was his kingdom. And so when we get up here and we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, we talk about the things Jesus said. Of course there's judgment. Jesus talks about fire today. He's already talked about it. There's judgment, there's judgment, there's judgment. It's a harsh reality. We've got to wrestle with that. And so we need to be saved by Christ. But most importantly, we need to sa save for what? What do you save for? You save for yourself? That makes it all about you. You save for a kingdom. A king and a kingdom. It's about his glory. Maybe your Christianity doesn't make sense to you because it's all about you. It's all about what God does for you so that you can control that and live the way you want to live. And Jesus has some harsh things to say about that at the end of his sermon. And so we've said all along about the Lord, kingdom, people, reign, all these thoughts. In uh, Matthew 4, 17, it says, Jesus went about preaching, and he said, repent. We're going to write a few words up here because they're going to be important for us. We like, we've got, ooh, we got orange this morning. I grabbed that. Orange. Orange is a word you never feel like you say right. Say orange. orange. Who feels like they said it right? It, okay, well, you're better than all of us. It's a tough word, right? It's, so you feel like maybe it's because I struggled with R's as a kid. I used to say turtle. Look at all these videos of family video, and they'd be like, oh, I love turtles, ninja turtles. Hey, what, you guys don't care about my speech impediment as a child. Anyway, wow, we diverge. Kingdom, repent. We'll talk about these words a lot because that's really the only hope we have as we read these hard things of Jesus. We repent, we have his kingdom. So this is what Jesus says, John or sorry, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, uh, Matthew 4, 23, and he went through Galilee teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This begs the question, what is the kingdom? We had a quote we read from Scott McKnight, a scholar I respect. Um, uh, this is his quote about the kingdom. Oof, got it. Uh, the kingdom is Jesus' shorthand expression for the story of Israel's hope God's people, Israel, hope for the world coming to completion in Jesus through his life, death, resurrection, ascension. It takes place as the society that does God's will under King Jesus is empowered by God's redemptive work. There's some parentheses I added there to help make sense of some of these phrases. The society is the church. Um, being empowered is uh, clearly the Holy Spirit. But again, when you try to find something as big as the kingdom, you get really tricky. I like Dallas's Willard, uh, Dallas Willard's definition. He says, uh, it is God reigning. The kingdom is God reigning. It is the, uh, it's present where what God wants done is done. It's the range of God's effective will. And so if you want to know what the kingdom is, Jesus explains it. We just read three chapters on it. He's explained, this is what the kingdom looks like, right? But most simply, it's God reigning. And so you have to ask, does God reign in my personal life? Does God reign in our church? Does God reign in my family? Is that the most important thing? Is he really Lord? Is Jesus really Lord or is something else? And we talk a lot about a good way to define that is look at your time, your money, and your energy. Where are you spending those things? Your time. It's not your time. It's God's time. Your money. It's not your money. It's God's money. Your energy. You didn't give yourself energizing breath of life. God created you and he breathed into you life. So the animating force that makes your heart beat is of God. By his grace, you're alive this moment. And so to believe that it's your energy that you decide what to do with, you're missing it. God gave it to you. It's all God's. And so we decide, okay, if this is God's reigning in our life, that's the kingdom. Uh, before we do that, we need to talk about some road signs because some of you are the best drivers in the world and we need to do it. Uh, let's uh, pull up a road sign here. Joe, what does this mean? Curvy roads coming. Get ready. No one knows the official name for this road, but you feel it, right? You see that sign, you're like, okay, okay, stuff's about to get real, right? Unless you're JR and you just... 
I got this. And it, what does this sign mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, things about to get slick. Be careful. You guys are so good at this. Raise your hand if you're a good driver. Yeah, my people. Raise your hand if you're really humble about it. I'm just kidding. Uh, next sign. Yeah, you can't, you can't U-turn. Raise your hand if you're a brokenness. You see the sign, you're like, listen, I'm David Newton. You don't decide where I U-turn. Just kidding. Next one. Raise your hand if you've had to pay for breaking this one. Yeah, right? Did that in Michigan. Uh, this is the weird one. Have you ever seen this? These exist in Michigan. You're driving and you're like, what is that? Okay, that's a snow... What? Where in the world am I if snowmobiles are so prevalent and important that there need to be several road signs for them? Michigan, magical land, super weird. Watch out, people on snowmobiles. What about this one? We're very familiar with this, right? These are deer, be careful. Next four miles, that's where we decide they cross. This one? What is it? What is it? Yeah, no one in here knows what this sign actually means, right? Let's be honest, it literally means nothing. It is an, an ideal, a theory. Man, I get fired up about that, especially if you're driving to Columbia. Those signs mean nothing on the road from here to Columbia. It's the Wild West. Woo, calm down, David. Next. Ah, you like this one? It's got the old Taco Bell sign, a Shoney's. Man, some of you feel like that was just yesterday. It wasn't. You're old. Uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, so you see, these signs, man, driving is such an intense world nowadays. There's so many signs. If you drive, I just spent a lot of time driving uh, last several weeks, and there's just so many signs to tell you where to go, what not to go, how to find food, how to find a rest stop, how to find, there's signs everywhere. And I feel like when you start thinking about roads and paths, and we're about to look at these words of Jesus, you start thinking, man, Jesus has some warning signs. He's got some things he's saying, listen, look at this sign. It's blatantly telling you what to do. Are you gonna follow it? Are you gonna be the idiot who breaks the sign and has to pay the penalty, right? Uh, I think that's a helpful way to think about it. The main question I want you guys to think about today is this word bears its weight on us. Did Jesus really mean what he said? What does this mean for you if it does? What if what Jesus says here is true? What if he actually means these words? Not some uh, way that you've twisted them, not some way that you've found some way to be comfortable with them. What if the words that we're about to read, what if Jesus actually meant them? Think about that as we read them. Starting in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does, uh, does not do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would guide um, our words on your words this morning as we try to make sense of them, as we try to discuss them. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would convict, that you would speak, and that we would wrestle with if we actually believe these are true, if we trust you at your word, and that you would illuminate to us through your spirit the reality of what this means. May your word be true. May we believe and repent as you've called us to. Teach us the narrow road. Teach us to build our house on the rock. Teach us to not be people who you don't know. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. I got a, uh, a graphical image here. It's some columns with a lot of words on it, lists, bullet points. You know the one. You might not be able to read that. It's small, but that's okay. Here's the thing. If you've been in church a while or you've maybe heard this for the first time, you have read this before. You've heard this before, and I want to avoid some ad blindness towards you. I want to avoid that you know what these mean, that you've already thought about them. These are hard teachings of Jesus. Get on with the how much he loves us. Get on with how we're all saved by grace through faith. Get on with all the easy stuff. Stop. That's not where we're at today. Jesus said these words. And so I want you to just uh, soak in this list for a minute. Just read through. I've kind of uh, tried to decipher them back and forth of like, okay, here's maybe a list of some of the positive, happy, maybe good things. I didn't title it that way because I don't think it's that easy. But then here's some of the things that don't sound so good. So we've got narrow gate, narrow hard path, life, sheep. It's implied that they're sheep. Healthy tree, good fruit, does the will of my father, wise man, house on the rock. It did not fall. It's found on the rock. And on the other side, we've got wide gate, wide easy path, destruction, false prophets, wolves, disease tree, bad fruit, cut thrown into the fire, not just professing Lord, Lord, gifted leader, prophecy, exorcism, mighty works, I never knew you, depart from me, workers of lawlessness, iniquity, foolish man, house on the sand, great was the fall of it. It's not easy stuff. This is heavy stuff. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Everyone listening in this time would have been familiar with this because they entered to city, into cities through gates. And we, we don't have gates in the same way, maybe to your house and stuff. It's not like when you go into the city, it's like you have to choose which gate to enter. We have exits, and they're all pretty much the same because of uh, whatever you call the interstate system. You call it the interstate system. But anyway, um, so then uh, in their area, there were some you walk into and just tons of people get in at once. I think about, I've been to like maybe two baseball games in my life, which I could talk forever about how strange the sport of baseball is. We're going to, nope, we don't have time for that. But when you go to a baseball game, it's just like all these people, and they're kind of funneled, but there's like so many different areas to get in, and you can see it feels like, like at a big concert. Hundreds of people are getting in at a time. They're just going in and getting scanned, and boop, 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 and there's some kind of funnels, but it just feels like brrr, people are flooding in, and, and it's not too hard to get in. Sometimes you wonder, like, at a, I think about Whitewater and how easy it is to sneak into Whitewater. Not that I've ever done that, but like in Silver Dollar City, Whitewater, there are theme parks. There's so many people getting in at once. Maybe you 
you can kind of figure out ways again. But then there are other places where uh, I think about like a ticket booth area or when you buy movie theater tickets, you're standing in line. It's one at a time, man. When you buy funnel cakes, you're not getting like four or five people serve time. It is one at a time waiting for your funnel cake because funnel cakes take time to make. You know what I mean? No one in here is a fan of funnel cakes. I can tell by your face. Sorry. There we go. So it's, it, there's this idea. So in Jerusalem, you had larger gates. People could enter, make way for Prince Ali and all these things. Elephants never could come in at once. It's a big deal. And then you had all these. I don't know where that came from, Shelby. I'm sorry. Uh, and then you have these narrow gates where it's like you and your goat get to walk in and people are more watching of those gates. So the point is, I don't need to overemphasize this. I already have. I've failed. That's okay. You get the idea that some gates are narrow and some gates are big, right? And Jesus cares that you know after he said all these things, this is the gospel of the kingdom. This is what we think about divorce and about sex and about how we treat women and about how we, we look at the law and about what it means to not judge people and to be angry at heart and all these heart problems you have. We've looked at all these heavy things and you enter through the narrow gate because there is a wide path. Tons of folks are on it and it leads to destruction. And I want those words to bear so much weight on you this morning because I love you. Because so many of us sit here and watch from home and know people in our lives, we just pretend that there's an easy way out. And we try to reduce and relativize and broaden all these things Jesus said. But then he says stuff like this. There is a narrow gate. There is a narrow path. And it is hard. And few people find it. And interestingly enough, if you're honest, most of your life is about making things easier. Most of your Western world is about making things more convenient. Sure, most valuable things uh, take a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to do something righteous as an entire nation. That's why we never do it. But uh, oof, that was a side commentary. I take that back. It's tough. It's a lot of work to do, get everyone doing one right thing. It's a lot of work to have a healthy marriage. It's a lot of work to be a good parent, right? Those things take a lot of work. But so much of our lives is make it easy. Five factors to making a healthy marriage. The top three ways to get your spouse to kiss you at night. Two ways to make your kids not little jerks. Like, whatever. That's what we wanted easy. What's the easy path? Right? Everything is becoming easy. McDonald's has two lines now. Found that out recently. Also, McDonald's ice cream cones are easily twice as expensive than they were last year, I feel like. Um, it used to be a dollar a pop, and I paid like $10 for five the other day, so something went wrong in my life, and I'm not sure where the world's going, but all you who are very political, fix that. Okay? I don't know who needs to get elected, but what in the world? Ice cream? Anyway, um, there's a narrow gate. And as we look at this and we love convenience, I don't think these words can fall hard on us enough. Because by the end of the day, we're going to err towards our convenience, our leisure things, what makes our life simpler, how we can control things. But Jesus says there's a narrow road, and it's hard, and few find it. <laughs> what if he meant that? Like, look at the people in this room. Just, just look all around. What if some of us aren't on the narrow path? What if you're not entering through the narrow gate? What if it is true that few people find it? What if Jesus meant what he said? How do we get there? The very first thing Jesus says is enter by the narrow gate. The cool thing about scripture is that we have uh, several uh, different people who heard the words of Jesus and were inspired to write it down. And so we get to look through the different gospels and see different portraits of Christ that all paint the same picture of who he is. And so Jesus directly says in John 10, 9, 
Kupa. I am the... Who's the gate? Jesus. Who's the gate? Jesus, Jesus is the what? Gate. And you enter through the narrow. Gate. Who's the gate? Jesus. It's very important. It's super important because you can rattle it off right now, but then maybe by the end of the day or by the end of the week, there's some other gate you're trying to enter through. There's something about you personally that says, I got to do this. This is on me. This is on my family. I've got to do, if I get this next thing, and this discipleship thing I do with this guy on Fridays, um, we were talking about how it's always the next thing. As soon as my wife and I pay off our debt, there'll be something else. As soon as you buy a boat, there'll be something else. As soon as you retire, as soon as your kids get out of the house, as soon as you have the next baby, as soon as your kid finally listens to you, as soon as your kid gets out of diapers, as soon as your job stops stinking, as soon as the first week of school gets out, there's always something else. Always some other way to enter, always some other path. And Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved, implying that you're not being saved right now. There are other gates out there. There are a lot of people on these paths. They're easy and they lead to destruction. Please think through what path you're on this morning. Please think through if you're going through something that's leading to destruction. Because Jesus doesn't make this easier as he continues to talk. Why is, the, uh, why is the gate narrow? Why is it narrow? There are two things I want you to remember about the gate being narrow. First, it requires radical repentance. Very first thing Jesus says, repent. It requires radical repentance. It is a radical notion to accept the possibility that the whole sphere in which you view the world is wrong. What if the way you view the world, the way you approach parenting, the way you approach church, the way you approach Christianity, the way you approach spiritualism, the way you approach your job, what if you're wrong? How would you know? There's a God who loves you that says repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. The word repent means to change your mind. It's not first this hyper-spiritual thing. Some people teach you're going this way, I'm going this way. Sure, that turn is, is connotative. It's in that idea, but originally the word meant to turn to change your mind. You can't turn unless you have a change of mind and change of vision. Jesus is calling for your vision here to repent. We need a radical repentance to be on a narrow road because the road is narrow and it's hard and Jesus is the gate. And it turns out if you've been here and you've read this sermon, it's a hard life that he talks about. There are many ways that we're missing it, that we're struggling. And Jesus says, you enter through the narrow gate. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. All along we've taught this posture. The first things Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You've got nothing in your spiritual bank account. You're not making it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You can't enter by your own gate, by your own path, but there is a path that is easy. There's a path that is wide, and it's leading to destruction. But radical repentance says, I could be wrong. Everything I see in the world could be wrong. And the only way I'd ever know is through Jesus. Having him change my mind. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. The second reason it's narrow is because it's through Christ alone. There are so many paths in life that have nothing to do with Christ. And many of us are on them. We care so much with our time, our energy, our money about politics. It's a wide road. Get on board with politics. Figure it out. Some of you know all the answers to Afghanistan. You know everything Biden should have done. You know all the right things Trump ever said. You know everything about the vaccine. You know everything about the coronavirus. You know everything about our church. You figured it all out. So is everyone else. It's a broad path. Is that leading you to life? Is that leading you to King Jesus? It's not. 
It's not leading you towards Jesus. It's not leading you to those things of Jesus. It's not leading you to make his king most important. When you are scrolling most of your time, if you're scrolling Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, getting fired up about other people, judging other people because they're not like you, wishing you were like other people because you're judging yourself and thinking you're not good enough, constantly posting images of yourself so people think you are, your whole worldview is what you create based off your social media presence, how in the world is your life about in Christ alone? There's no way that's a narrow path. There's no way that's a narrow gate. That's a gate that has to do with you. It's a gate that has to do with me, something I'm doing. Take a moment today to consider, where does my time, my energy, my money go to? What does it say about radical repentance? What does it say about in Christ alone? Jesus said it very clearly in John 14, 6. We quote it all the time here. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and life. There's a narrow path. It's only through him. He is the way. He is the truth. There's a lot of truths out there. Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. He is the life. No one is getting to the Father except through Jesus. This is why it's a narrow path. There are many religions. There's ways to life to identify ourselves. There's categories. <laughs> Please see the truth because so many of you I know struggle with this and I want you to hear it. There are a lot of liberals on the narrow path. There are a lot or on the wide path. There are a lot of conservatives on the wide path. There are a lot of religions on the wide path. There's a lot of straight people, gay people, middle class, upper class, poor people, healthy people, attractive people, people you want to be like, and they're on the wide path. I can't emphasize this enough because Jesus said there is a narrow path that few people find. Please don't miss that. Please don't come in here and, and pledge your church attendance and all your efforts and all these things thinking that this is all it is. Because it's not me. It's not Memorial Baptist Church. It's not what you watch on Facebook and tuning in every week. Thank God that he's given you the opportunity. But thank God that he's given you this opportunity right now to hear that there's a narrow path. And there's one gatekeeper. And it's Jesus. And if you haven't committed your life to him, if you're not following him, you're missing it. You're on the road to hell. You're on the road of eternal separation from him and destruction. And I'm not here to be the guy that fire and brimstone and create all this fear in you. I just want you to believe what Jesus says. Just want you to take his word seriously or quit pretending. I love you too much to just go through these things and leave us with all these happy, fuzzy thoughts because Jesus says something that's really hard. It's been hard for me all week. The gate is not just some mild association with Jesus like you're a sports fan, you're on Team Jesus, but more it's a radical commitment to Jesus who is King, who is Lord, and that shapes all of our life. All of our life. Bonhoeffer had this neat quote that I thought was really helpful. He said, as long as I recognize this road as the one I am commanded to walk and try to walk it in fear of myself, it is truly impossible. But if I see Jesus Christ walking ahead of me step by step, if I look only at him and follow him step by step, then I will be protected on this path. Step by step. Leave that quote up for a little bit. Uh, almost all the time when I'm alone, if I pick up a guitar, there's about two or three songs I'll play um, because they've kind of rippled to be the deepest cries of my heart as I try to seek the Lord if I want to be playing. One of them is Love Song for a Savior, and it keeps growing in meaning because I have a daughter now and all the lyrics, and I really just want to fall in love with Jesus more and more. I want to love him more than anything else. But another song I sing more than any other, probably even more than Love Song for a Savior, is a song by Rich Mullins called Sometimes by Step. And a lot of people don't know the verses of that song, and that's fine. I'm not going to sing them now. But you've heard the chorus. It says, Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek 
you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you lead me, and I'll follow you all my days. And that means so much to me because it is a step-by-step -step narrow path, and it is a hard path. And I need to cry out to God every day, step by step, you will lead me. I can't lead myself. If I focus on me and myself doing it, it's impossible. But when I see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's doing it step by step, then it makes sense. What road are you on? This should cause concern and be like a mirror for us. Don't sit here this morning and think that you're entering in the narrow gate and other narrow path when you're not. We got more to cover. Jesus makes it a little more difficult. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Take in that image. Take that in. They look like sheep. They smell like sheep. They taste like sheep. They sit with us. They sing awesome God with us. They sing uh, about God's radical love, ridiculous love. What's the word? Reckless. Reckless love. They sing about God's love. They're here with us. And inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Jesus said, not me, not some business insider magazine that you read that we throw this phrase all the time, sheep and wolves clothes. Jesus said this. They're false prophets. You will recognize them. He gives us a window, a way to look into actually who they are. How do we know these false prophets? If they're among us, maybe some of y'all are wolves. How do we know? You'll know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? This is such like an obvious, like, have you ever, you ever farmed, bro? You ever, been to, you ever been to farming? Pretty simple. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? The answer is no. That's not where you get grapes. You get grapes from what? Grape plants. I don't know what they're called, but you get them from that. Vines, uh, thank you. All oh, you grape experts here. I didn't know Missouri was such a grapey place. Oh, you got vines in your backyard, vineyards. Hmm, grapes. Uh, hmm, that's what you do when you have grapes. Are, fi uh, are figs gathered from thistles? No. So every, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. Again, no duh. I know people who work in tree services, trees diseased, it's, it stinks. It drops its leaves early, it's bad. Maybe sometimes it literally stinks. You gotta cut it down, you gotta get out, right? A good tree bears good fruit. If you have an apple tree and it's producing thorns, bad fruit, or no fruit, is it still a meaningful apple tree? Is it helpful to you? No. You don't want an apple tree. It's not, it fundamentally isn't an apple tree. This is not hard. It's just like, it's not, if you have an apple tree that's not producing apples, you don't really have an apple tree. You got a broke plant. And who wants that? Unless you think they're so pretty. They're not. Like they produce apples or they, they're terrible, right? It's not a hard concept here. It's so important though because Jesus lays this on thick. This is a window into false prophets. He says, so every healthy tree has good fruit. A diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. If it's healthy, why would it produce bad fruit? Trees don't have small coughs. They get little seasonal colds and produce some good and some bad. They produce good fruit or bad fruit. It's very simple. Straight down the line. There's a narrow path, good fruit, bad fruit. You get it. Healthy tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This phrase, cut down, is used a lot in the Bible. It's referring sometimes to Israel, to other nations. Any Hebrew hearing this knows what he's saying. He's saying you're cut apart from God. This is a judgmental phrase. This is looking at the day that will come one day when we talk about it here in a minute. This is a judgment day phrase. You'll be cut down. You'll be cut off. You'll be thrown into the fire. You're not the olive shoot that comes up. You're not the tree of hope. You're not the tree of life. You're not, you're, you're cut down. You're thrown into the fire. And just so you know, a tree that's thrown in the fire is destroyed. 
it's no longer true, it's gone, it's a terrible thing, right? So sometimes we miss that that's a bad thing because we over-spiritualize this. Oh, we talk about heaven and hell. That's where demons are. It's a little hot there. No, no, it's, it's, go it's gone. It's destroyed. It's, it's burning. That hurts. That's bad. And so you can unpack this. You can say, oh, well, this is what I think about hell, and hell means this, and hell means this. Stop. No one wants this. This is not what God created you for, to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Whether you're eternally destroyed, eternally tormented, however it works out, you don't want that. You don't want that for your kids. You don't want that for your friends. You don't want that for your worst enemy. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. There are those who claim Jesus, who preach every Sunday, who talk big talk, and they're false prophets. And so many people are on the broad path following them, and it leads to destruction. And church, if you're a committed member here, watch out for that. Jesus is talking to you. All Christians, they're false prophets. We're not talking about the people who are obvious about it. They're dressed like sheep. How will you know them? By their fruits. Fruit is righteousness in the Bible. It's a consistent image. Righteousness is the will of God, right? Just doing what God intended. It's the right way. It's what God intended. And so fruit in general can be understood scripturally as when God desires something, he teaches it, we obey him, we listen, we obey, that produces fruit. That's what God always intended with this whole image of fruit. So how do you know a false prophet? Observe their life. Is the things that come out of their life actually nourishing for people? Sometimes that's hard to tell because people get really pumped about it. I had several names I was going to drop in the sermon to give real-world examples of false prophets, and I decided that's not worth it because I think you're smart people, and I think you can wrestle with this. But it's really worth considering, does the fruit of this person's life, the things they teach, the things that come out of them, does it lead towards a narrow road and a narrow gate? Does it lead to Jesus being the center? Does it lead to his kingdom, him as king, and to repentance only through him? Radical repentance, Christ alone. Is that what it leads to? If not, they could be a false prophet. They might be ignorant. And interestingly enough, what, how do we respond to false prophets? We tell them the truth. We speak truth in love. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We speak truth in love. And then they can reject it. And they can say, no, I'm not about that. I'm only about me. I don't want to follow that. And then you say, okay, fine. You're not of us. You're not really a follower of Christ. You're a false prophet. You want something else. Church leaders, if you're a leader of church, please look for wolves. Have hard conversations with people. And by the way, you Facebook warriors who know everything about the Bible, that's not randomly throwing out words like hypocrite, false prophet, um, oh, there's a word I'm trying to think of that they said, um, yeah, heretic. You can't just go on Facebook and see someone's Facebook page and say, this guy's a heretic. That doesn't help anybody. There's no love in that. If you think someone is a false prophet, a hypocrite, a heretic, then you lovingly approach them and you say, here's what King Jesus calls us to. And they accept that and reject that. And if that doesn't work, you take two people to them. You have a community of believers with them. That's why we need the church. Guys, it's hard to tell who's a false prophet sometimes, and this is why we have the church. This is why we're not blown by random doctrines and things that come in. Ephesians 4 tells us that. But we are growing together in Christ, fitted together as one body in Him, all of us working together. There are false prophets. We need to have a window into this to say, What's the fruit of their life? Am I observing that or am I just wooed by the things they make me feel, the things they make me want? 
This in our church, this is why we talk about being gospel-centered. This is why I tell you, join a gospel-centered church. I would love for you to join our church and follow us, but also, uh, in some ways, I don't care where you go. Because regardless, we're one body, we're going together. Find a gospel-centered church, join them, be a part of them, and grow with them. Because otherwise, how would you know? How would you know if you're on the narrow path? How would you know if you're following a false, false prophet? In our church, we have things that, that guide that. We say everything we do is gospel-centered. Everything comes back to worshiping God passionately, connecting with each other authentically, growing to know God deeply, and going and sharing the gospel boldly. And that's a cute little thing, slap it on a t-shirt, put it on a website, that's great. But it helps guide us to say everything comes back to King Jesus. And the most important part is this. If Jesus doesn't have all authority, if he's not with us always, then forget about it. We're wasting our time. Everything comes back to King Jesus. Are you a part of that kind of church? Are you committed to that kind of life? Or are you confused by false prophets? This is a window into how we do this. This is also, this is also a mirror. And for your pastor, this is a hard verse to read because it begs the question, am I a false prophet? Am I missing it sometimes? Am I guiding things that don't bear good fruit? And for you, Christian, out there, Jesus intends this for it to be a mirror into your life, too. What are the fruits in your life? What things come out of your life because you follow King Jesus? Because people will be cut down, they will be thrown into fire. Oh, now I hear you. I hear, it's coming up. I feel it in some of you already. We're not talking about saved by works. I'm saved by faith, Pastor David. Reformation, I know it all. Martin Luther, you stop right there. This is not the Catholic Church. Indulgences, blah, blah. stop. Everyone is saved by faith, and they are judged by works. Come at me, bro. Read every judgment passage in the Scripture. Read every one. Does it say, and then they were judged because of their faith in Jesus, and how their church ends? It says they were judged by their works every single time. That does not mean you're saved by your works. You're saved by the work of Jesus Christ. But if that faith hasn't transformed you, then what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to believe? It means nothing. It's mental ascension. I can believe that that chair is going to turn into a lion, but if I don't start running from it, I don't really believe that. It's a stupid, silly fantasy. Quit faking it. Quit pretending that you believe these things when you don't really because it has to transform your life. There are so many cute analogies we could give about how, hey guys, I was hit by a semi-truck this morning. Do you believe me? No, because it would transform my life if I was hit by a semi-truck. But apart from all of those cute little analogies, the truth is, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have repented and had a transformation of mind, if you truly believe in him, then you must have works that align with that. Amen. Otherwise, you don't believe. And that's fine. Look at me and say, I don't believe. And we'll talk about it. We'll wrestle with it. We'll pray for you. But it's either true or it's not. And if you believe, then you must have works that come from it. This is fruit. This is righteousness. It comes out of you. What kind of fruit is coming out of your life? Do you see a life different because of Jesus in the way that you parent? I parent differently because I know Jesus. I approach my spouse differently because I know Jesus. I approach my job differently because of Jesus. I approach my finances differently because I know Jesus. I approach my hobbies differently because I know Jesus. I approach my Netflix account differently because I know Jesus. Does Jesus produce fruit in your life of a transformed heart that has been changed? Because Jesus spent the whole sermon telling us that you have a heart problem. And if your heart has changed, if my heart has changed, then we'll live life differently. Things will change. Let this be a mirror for you. We're saved by Christ alone, but we're saved for discipleship. James, the whole book of James is about that. Jesus changes our hearts and minds, and we live differently. 
Verse 21, not everyone will say to me, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Come on. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Being on the wrong road, entering through the wrong gate, this leads to personal deception. Jesus says, on that day, not everyone who says to me, on that day, this is, this is an idea coming from uh, judgment. This is another, uh, everyone listening would know when you're talking about on that day, there's a day of judgment. We're going to stand before the Lord. Someday you will stand before the Lord. You'll stand before the Lord, and you will have to have some account. Did you know Jesus? Did you follow him? Did you do everything you could to seek after the narrow gate as he taught you because of the love he swelled up in you, because of the great love he has for him, because of the Holy Spirit he breathed into you that transformed your life? You will stand before God in judgment on that day. It's so important to eat hard this passage, to swallow it whole and to wrestle with it and to be super uncomfortable with it because it is super uncomfortable. There are a lot of things Jesus didn't say here that I would love to preach, but he didn't say it. He said, many will say to me, and these people called him Lord. They called him Lord. They called him Lord and they said, look at what we did. Did we not prophesy in your name? Paul says prophecy is the gift we should all long for. That's what we should aspire for. Prophecy is a work of the Spirit oftentimes. Did we not perform exorcisms in your name? Cast out demons. We had power over the demons in your name. Did we not do mighty works? Which is a phrase all through the Bible of the hand of God. If you see mighty works, God is there. Did we not do it in your name? And what does Jesus say? I will declare to them, I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. There's a long connection here about the word lawlessness and iniquity and Hebrews 10 and the Holy Spirit and uh, Jeremiah 31 prophecy. And we don't have time to unpack that road here. But you need to know that those who practice lawlessness don't have the Holy Spirit in them. Because Jeremiah 31 prophesied that God will make a new covenant with us and that he will write his law in our hearts and we will be markedly different because of his work in us. And Hebrews picks up on that prophecy and says, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God has entered us and transformed us. Repentance comes from the Holy Spirit. Something from God enters us and transforms us. The Holy Spirit does that. And so when he says you're workers of lawlessness, it's the word iniquity that's there on, the iniquity is on them, and the iniquity has not been wiped away as prophesied in Jeremiah 31, as Hebrews 10 picks up on. Hebrews 10 says that's through the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, Peter, in his great sermon in Acts 2, they say, what do we do with all this? You guys might sit here, I preach, what do we do with all that? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. Have you repented? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you on the narrow path? Do you produce good fruit? Or will you say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things I did. I never knew you. Church people, this should make us uncomfortable. And I hope that you haven't heard this preached in light, stupid ways in the past because here's the truth. Many of you might say, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff I did. 
And I love you too much to let you get away with that. So this Sunday, you're hearing it. God might not know you. Jesus might not know you. And you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. And I don't want to sit here and create all this doubt in you that maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not going to heaven. Stop. Do you know Jesus and does he know you? Quit making it this selfish thing of, oh, did I ever, have I ever, well, I said I did this. Well, it's not about your nanny, your grammy, your pappy, whoever they did for you. It's not about the fact that you have grandma's Bible on your shelf. It's not about all the times mom brought you to church. It's not about how righteous your family, your parents were, or all the pastoring that your dad did. Does Jesus know you? Or is he going to say to you, dude, I played piano in the church, God. I preached most Sundays in my adult life. I never knew you. Please let that be uncomfortable. Please let that be many, many moments of sitting before God saying, do I know you? Do you know me? I'm really sick and tired of veneer Christianity because it's killing us. And I see it every day on Facebook and I see it every day in, in certain things in our church and i I'm just constantly wrestling with this veneer of I taste like a Christian because I do X, Y, Z. But I've completely missed what following Christ actually looks like because he doesn't know me. And I want to love you enough this morning, our church loves you enough to cut right through that and say, you either know Jesus and you're known by him or you're not. And this is your Sunday to wrestle with it. Don't make it about you, this big offensive thing. Oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Stop. Just ask yourself, what if Jesus meant what he said? What if few people find the narrow road? What if he will say to you, I don't know you? Ask yourself that this morning. There are two paths people tend to take that I think are worth looking at. I'll put them up on the screen. One path says, I give, God, I give to God a good record, and he does things for me. So it says, I give God a good record, and he does things uh, for, for you. you. You do it. God responds. And so many of us have this attitude of even we had some experience in life where we gave our life to Christ, but so much of our Christian life is about I've got to do for God. And it begs questions like, why don't I have money for rent this month? Why is grandma still on a ventilator? Why is, and we ask all these questions because so much of our faith is founded on the reality that we do for God and God responds because that's our understanding. And that's these people's understanding. So did we not do all these things in your name? The gospel says this, God gives me a perfect record and then I live for him through him, the Holy Spirit. Both of these look the same. You can't see the gate that's entered inside the tree, under the home, the roots, the foundation. It's all very different. But on the face value, it still looks like a tree. It looks like a sheep. It looks like a path. It looks like a gate. It looks like a house. But the roots, the foundation, the motivations of the heart, they're very different. Do you do for God or do you believe God does for you? Many people might have the inclination to stand before God and say, look at the things I've done, Lord. Those of us who know Jesus... We stand before Jesus. Maybe you're, you're still in this open hand. Because I'm sorry, God. I love you. I'm trying. And we believe that he embraces us and he accepts us because of who he is. Enter through the narrow road. Depart from me. I never knew you. So things we want to wrestle with this morning. No one's surprised when they enter into the eternal kingdom of heaven with the Lord. Many are going to be surprised that they're not. How do you know Jesus? How do we know Jesus knows us? Here we go. This is very important for you today. Don't miss this. 
Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, doesn't stop there because these other people profess that he's Lord. He said, I never knew you. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe something, it transforms you. Something changes. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, you're hearing it now. This is the word, the gospel. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's this implication here that God's Spirit enters us, and there's this whole theology of Holy Spirit that we don't have time to get into, but very simply, you need to know this. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is? Show up to Bridget's class on uh, Wednesday nights, and she's going to tell your kids all about it. But also, you want the short answer? Jesus tells you, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Isn't it interesting that when God enters us, when Jesus, when the Lord comes into us and changes, he writes his law in his heart, the way that Jesus defines it is, he teaches you all things, truth. You know all things. And he brings to your memory all that I've said to you. Jesus says all things that I've said to you. It'll come to your memory. The Holy Spirit points back to who? The gate. Who's the gate? The narrow path, Jesus. If you're not here and you don't know that you're saved, if you don't know that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus, if you haven't entered in the narrow gate, you start by repenting and believing. We can talk about baptism. We can talk about all those things. But very first, you, you open your hand and say, God, I need you. I come to you right now and I recognize that I've been, I've been a, maybe you say I've been a false prophet. I've been playing the game. I've been a veneer Christian. I've been hoping all these other things save me. And I recognize that only you, Jesus. And I thank you that you've given me this moment to believe that. I believe you. May your spirit come to my life and transform me only through you, Jesus. I have nothing. I'm poor in spirit. Maybe some of you need to say that prayer today. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, uh, does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Falling is another judgmental phrase all through scripture. The fall, falling, uh, it's an implication that there's a great fall. Uh, there'll be a second great fall. There's a falling out, a cutting off. Again, there's this implication that those who aren't doing it, Jesus cares so much that we're building on the rock. Over and over in Scripture, you find the Lord being the rock, Jesus being compared to the rock. Jesus compares his church to the rock, building it on that because it's all founded on him, who is the rock. Are you building it? Jesus says, I've given you teachings. There's a narrow gate and a narrow path only through me. You can enter that. It's hard. I'm with you. You can enter this way. He says there's false prophets out there, a lot of people on the wide path. Don't follow them. That's going to mess you up. That's not where you're supposed to be. And also, there's a lot of religious folks who's going to tell you, hey, I know Jesus, I'm doing all these things, but I don't know them. Because there's a narrow path, a narrow gate, and it's hard. But then he says, are you building, are you obeying? In, in the Hebrew understanding, when they say listen, it means obey. And all of us who've ever been a parent, we get that, man. You don't want your kid just to perk up and listen. You want them to obey. And it's so annoying that we have to say, listen and obey, listen and obey. It should be a given. If you listen to someone, you obey. Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine, if you've listened to them, shema is the Hebrew word, then you've obeyed, you will obey. And that's the person that builds their house on the rock. 
because some of us can discuss very openly. Maybe you need to do that in your life groups today. Find someone today and tell them about the rains that have fallen on your house. Metaphorically, maybe you've had a big roof tear up this week, I don't know, but metaphorically, the rains, the winds, the floods, and how things just keep falling apart in your life. And then talk about how your foundation is on Jesus, because maybe it's not. And maybe right now all the stuff is hitting the fan in your life and you don't know what to turn to. Thank God that he's put you here this morning to say, if your foundation isn't on Jesus, if it's not on the rock, you're not entering through the narrow gate. You're going to be cut off and thrown into fire. Did Jesus really mean what he said here? There's a narrow gate and a narrow path. There are false prophets. There's good trees that produce good fruit. There's bad trees that produce bad fruit. There's judgment, and our religious actions don't save us. They're not going to make us known by Jesus. Jesus will say, I never knew you, to some. We can neither build a house on sand, or we can build it on Jesus, the rock. These things are very direct. Jesus ends his sermon by calling you to action. It's a big road sign. Some people like the phrase, turn or burn. I don't want to go that far because it sounds annoying and I don't like the implications, but you have the opportunity now here. Are you on the narrow path? Have you entered through the narrow gate? Church, if you're, if you're a committed member of Memorial, we need each other. If you know someone in this room that's not on the narrow path, especially if they're a church member, then it is on you this moment to talk to them during our response time. Say, hey, I see this thing in your life and I love you too much to let it happen. We are not a church of passive people who let each other get off the path, who become false prophets, who produce bad fruit. May it never be again in our church that we can say, oh, I saw that divorce coming. Oh, I saw their kid turning out this rotten way. Mm. Calm down. Stop. Love each other more than that. What does it mean then if we're not doing that as a church? Why are we here? Why do we have a membership covenant? Why do we tell people to join us? Join us on Sunday so we can all fake and pretend like we care about each other. Stop. Put up or shut up. There are people in this room that God's laying in their heart right now that need to hear something. They need to hear, I love you and you're missing it. May we be so bold to step out and love them in that way and guide them together, step by step, together following Jesus. Not just to say, get it right, you clown. Say, oh, I love you. We're going to do this together. We're one body, one faith, one baptism through the God, Father, who's above all, in all, and through all. One body. Church, we need each other. Maybe you're not a part of a church. Man, this is your time. I, I, I sometimes dance around heavy decisions because I know I'm a salesman. I'm really good at selling websites. I'm really good at selling MCI long distance. I'm really good at selling burgers. There's so many things I've sold. I'm good at selling magic tricks. There are so many things I've sold in life that I'm awesome at. And I'm so cautious of selling Jesus up here because Jesus takes care of himself. But I'll tell you today, if you're not a committed member of a gospel-centered church, you cannot possibly be on a narrow path. You cannot possibly enter through a narrow gate because it's all on you. You're trying to figure it out. Please join a church. If it's your first time here and God's speaking, come forward during response. Be a part of our church. We are a loving church who seeks Jesus first. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love our neighbors ourselves. That's all you need to know about us. We'll be one body with you. Join the church. If you're watching at home, you're not a member of a church, find a church, please. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. We've talked about how you do that. You open your hands, you say, I'm poor in spirit, I've got nothing. I need to give my life to you. Take time during this response song to ask yourself, what if Jesus meant what he said? What if few people find the narrow path? I can't emphasize this enough because I feel the weight of this. I've been studying this more than anything I've studied since I've preached here because it's so hard. 
What if Jesus cares so much about you that he doesn't want you on this broad path leading to destruction? What if he doesn't want you to be cut off and thrown into the fire? What if you have this moment to hear the gospel and to have that conviction, that feeling you feel right now, and to be able to turn to God and say, okay, I'm 45 years old and I've pretended to be a Christian my whole life. In fact, I even have a baptism on my record, but I don't really know Jesus. This is your time. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to, to decide whether or not you're awesome. We're all here to open our hands for Jesus and say, we're poor in spirit and we're only making it through the gate. The gate is Jesus. The narrow path is following Jesus. Maybe you're not his disciple. You say, I've given my life to Christ, but I, I, there's no fruit in my life whatsoever. I can't point to a single thing that looks like what Jesus teaches. In fact, I like a lot of things Jesus doesn't teach at all. We're not here to judge you and say, look how much you've screwed it up. We're here to say, okay, step by step, let's follow Jesus together as one body because you need us and we need you. During the response time today, take time to ask. We, we can talk all the time about the decisions you make coming forward. I want you just to sit and ask, what if Jesus meant what he said? Am I on the narrow path? Am I entering through the narrow gate? Do I have fruit of righteousness in my life because I'm a good tree in Christ? Or would Christ say to me, I never knew you? Am I building my life on the rock? Am I building my family on the rock? Does my life look different because of King Jesus? These are the questions I want you to ask. And simply, I want you to think about the old hymn. I, don't, I think we're going to sing it this morning. I don't, I don't know for sure. But there's a song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If God is who he says he is, if he loves you and you turn and look to him, all these things you're questioning, you're doubting, you're struggling with, they will start to make sense or at the very least they will grow dim in the light of his glory and his grace because he's bigger. He has all the weight, the kabod, the glory. He has it all. Are you on the narrow path? Have you entered through the narrow gate? We're going to pray and then we're going to have our time response. We're going to sing a song together. What if Jesus meant this? How does it apply to you? Maybe you need to give your life to him. Maybe you need to join a church. Maybe you need to get baptized. What does God want you to do today? Please ask him. Don't let this time go by. God, we believe that you've put us here for a reason. We believe that you speak. And, and as, as much as I want to say all the right words, God, I don't know. I don't know the right words to say. I pray that your spirit would move because we believe that your spirit changes us. Your spirit speaks to us, that it enters us, that the, the, the people who don't know you this morning, people who think they know you and don't, that your spirit can convict them. And I pray by the power of your spirit in your name, Jesus, that those who don't know you would come to repentance this morning. Those who think they know you but don't would come to repentance. Those who are false teachers, false prophets, would rid themselves of that and come to you in repentance this morning. God, may we be a church that takes your word seriously. May we be people who seek you as one body. Guide us as we respond to you right now. May your spirit move. If you need someone to talk to this morning, come up. We'll pray. Otherwise, worship with us. Ask God what he's saying to you right now.